Welcome to the Leaders in Construction podcast with me, Stuart Wallace. This is where we tell the stories of construction industry leaders from all across the world in hope of inspiring others to show them that anything is possible. Today, I'm speaking with Mark Morale, Senior Construction Manager from NNE. Let's get into it. Right, Mark, thanks for taking the time to, uh, to speak to us today. In, um, is, it, is it sunny in Denmark? Uh, it's a bit grey today, Stu, but the weekend's looking good. Happy days. Are you up to much this weekend? Doing anything? A uh, bit of cycling, um, and, and that's it. In in work tomorrow, and then uh, yeah, out on the bike the weekend. Happy days, happy days. Well, well, look. So let's start from the beginning. Can I take me back to where you, um, where are you from originally? Talk me through sort of the childhood, the teenage years, and how you kind of got into construction. Okay, so originally from a uh, sunny Dagnum. And um, yeah, and I, I got into I was an apprentice plumber. Uh, I worked for a small company called Jones Heating. Uh, did my apprenticeship there and enjoyed it. You know, enjoyed what I was doing. Enjoyed. He was a hard taskmaster, uh, without a doubt. Uh, and they were good fitters and learned a lot from them. Spent three years there and then got into hotels. Uh, I went to the Savoy Hotel. That's where I really started, you know, on in the facility side of you know, construction, really. Uh, people, lo- I, I get a lot of stick about working in hotels because my job title at the time was the perfect rooms coordinator. <coughs> um, so I would, uh, we would take a room offline for a couple of days and I would do everything. I would do the plumbing, decorating, the whole lot and get the room ship shape. But then I, I got a taste for it. And then I went from there to the Dorchester Hotel and then to the Waldorf Hotel where I was a chief engineer. And then I went to a, a, a property in Piccadilly Circus called Quadrant Three. And at the time it was a travel lodge hotel, a thousand bedroom hotel, uh, Crown Estate property. And they were going to decommission it to turn it into what it is now, which is, I think it's about 300,000 square feet of office space some private apartments. Um, and I met uh, Lendlease on the project. And this was back in, I think, about 2009, 2000, no, sorry, 2007, around 2007. And got talking to a guy called Gavin. And he said, look, we're doing a project, small project over in Stratford. And it was the Olympics. So they were, you know, Lendlease were doing the Athletes Village. So I was, he was like, you know, would you be interested? And I said, like, yeah, jumped at the opportunity, you know, to be a part of saying that culturally was massive for the UK, you know, yeah. massive for, for Europe. And working on a project pretty much from day one where you still got factories, pylons, you know, and growing in, growing up in Dagenham, I knew Stratford well. Um, and, it, yeah, I was pretty much one of the first on that project, I would say. And... Loved it. Absolutely loved it. You know, I'm not sure when I started, it was a handful of guys. And then by the end, it was thousands, absolutely cast of thousands on that project. But it was such a successful project. It was one of them projects that could never, you couldn't move the, the goalposts. You couldn't move the, the timeline out. The 2012 Olympics was going to happen. You had to hit that deadlines. Um, yeah. And it was a lot of collaborative working, a lot of offsite manufacture. A lot of thinking outside the box, you know, and that 
that really got me into construction. So that was, yeah, 2008. So at the time, I was like 30, around about that. Yeah, a little bit. So, is little that, bit is old. That, so how old was you when you got into construction then? Well, so it's funny because when you work in hotels, people think it is literally, they, they imagine me being like, you know, making beds and taking uh, <laughs> breakfast and stuff like that. Yeah. But you're always refurbishing hotels. Uh, it, it's it's like the fourth bridge. So at the Dorchester Hotel, they do a lot of refurbishment. At the Waldorf, it was a large refurbishment being undertaken at the time. So you, you get involved in the construction side of things. Um, you know, you're working with main contractors, you're working with electrical, MEP, but you're also trying to run a live hotel. So you might take a wing of the hotel out and have 100 rooms being refurbished, but you're running a live hotel. So that's quite challenging in itself. But I really, then I got into the construction, yeah, in 2007. So what was I, 20, yeah, 20, 20 30, yeah, 30s, in my 30s then. You know, when I really got onto on on the site for the first time in, on a large scale, and I wish I got into it a little bit younger, um, yeah. but it is what it was. What it was, and yeah, I went from from uh, Lendlease to then I went to Mace over in Paddington Square, uh, and then in Victoria, loved it with them guys as well, and then went to a small company called Craig Ewan who are doing a. a project up in St John's Wood Barracks and then I met my next door neighbour Dave Swain and he was working out in Finland great and, guy May yeah, I? really good guy really good guy um and he said look opportunities out in Finland if you're if I was interested so that was you know circa four four and a half years ago and didn't look back from then once I got into working away and working in data centers at the time, it just different world, completely different world, you know. Um, and the little things that make life easier, you know, 15, 20 minute drive to work. Um, you know, being a bit of a workaholic myself, you could do the hours that you want, you know, long days, and it didn't matter. You know, I didn't have selfishly, I didn't have the responsibility of my wife and the children. That was Ruth yeah. was looking after that. Um, but I was able to do what I love doing, which was construction. And Finland shout, was shout, shout out to Ruth then for holding. Yeah, the fair play to her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know, Finland was a fantastic project. It was a fantastic team, really good guys. You know, Sandy Good, Dave. I, I could go on for you know all of them. And yeah. Still got them relationships with these with these guys, and then from there went to PMG in uh, Odense, and took. A few of the guys down with me, I think about 12, 13 of the guys. And it's a small industry because <clears throat> you just cross over cross paths all the time. You there's a, we just move from project to project, you know, data centers, farmers, it, they're all around two-year projects. So you just move from project to project, but it's all it's sorry. No, so I was gonna say obviously I've looked through your profile many times, Mark, and I think that you haven't got a typical for your profile and where you are now, and you've been really successful and you're a senior CM now at NE on a large scale project, which is great. And all the um um the words that people have said about you from the previous projects, they've been amazing. So um and no doubt that was the same um before when you 
didn't sort of work in that level of construction, right? You obviously worked in hotels, but you've not got the similar trajectory as, mo as most people have. That a lot of people wouldn't have come from, say, the industry you have. So what do you think was the key thing for you? How did you get from in because usually if you if you get what i mean the kind of the, the usual stepping stone is they're kind of working within these m e contractors or whatever yeah. and then they kind of break into a pm group through uh, being on a project and they're doing really well or a flirt um etc but obviously yeah. you went through a different way and you've still managed to get where you are so i think it's good for people from other places that wanted to get into the industry to see that what do you yeah. think the key so the question would be what do you think the sort of the i suppose the key thing was like from you, from moving from that sort of industry into that, how did you do that? Was it knowing people? Was it network? Or... Um, well, it was knowing people at the time, but you, you, I formed relationships really early. And, I, you know, I, I, I believe I'm a people person. I get on with people. But, you know, I work hard. I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm, a, and I'm passionate about what I do. And I'm sure that any, if you spoke to anyone, you know, I bring a lot of energy to projects uh, and the way I am. And I'm, I'm all or nothing, you know. Um, but I just go in 100% committed. And that's what and I've got this drive to just want to succeed all the time and do the best I can. Amazing. But I want, to bring, I want to bring people with me. You know, it's not, it's not about me on my own doing it. You know, I, I walk around London with, with Ruth and the kids. Oh, I built that. I built. Well, Dad, actually, you didn't build it on your own, did you? No. If you work with team, if you work as a team, you'll be successful. You know, when you make it about yourself, and I've seen it so many times, sure, you know, when some it's someone who's trying to push themselves along their career path instead of taking people with them, you know, that's how you succeed because people support you. You know, you form relationships and people will support you. And, you, I, you know, I'll go on site. I don't mind sweeping up shit. It doesn't bother me. Really doesn't bother moving bins around. doesn't bother me. It's for the greater good. It's for, it's for the project. And I think if you have that mentality, show that you're passionate and disciplined, that people will, you know, they put a lot of trust in me and they know, you know, I'll get in here at half past five every morning and I'll stay till half six every day uh, but that's just the way i am and it's the way i've you know i made up and yeah my, say, my son, sorry I was, so i was gonna say mark just to again for the listeners would you say um because you get you get a lot of people right from different backgrounds you get these people that come in and they are educated to the absolute nines you know they've got a master's in x y and z there's nothing wrong with that every you know it's everybody's yeah. got a different route um but I'm very, very much like yourself, really. I, I mean, it was very much degree-led to get into my industry, and I kind of did it through hard work and real passion and um, other sort of related experience. And it seems like you've done the same thing. And it's not knocking a qualification, or um, yeah. and it's definitely, it's definitely not knocking intelligence because you're a really intelligent individual. But do you think sometimes there is that there is people out there that have all the intelligence in the world, but they just lack that passion and sheer drive and uh, that? That's that. That's why sometimes education doesn't always get you to where you know. To yeah, have seniors. yeah, if you get yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I do. And you know, if I go back to my school days, um, I got told by one of my teachers morally, you either end up in prison or you you won't be working ever. You know, and that kind of spurred me on. I was like, right, I'm going to show this. You're going to show this guy that. Uh, and like with my 
son and daughter, um, my son's a trainee electrician and my daughter's at sixth form. Now, my son's like me, he's, he works hard and the daughter's got the brains without a doubt, you know, uh, and I can see how both paths are going. But practicality as well is in, in construction. You can see if you're understanding sequencing, if you're understanding how, you know, services work, how systems work, you can manage that. But it's just being practical sometimes, Stu. Like you don't need an ology in mechanical installation. You know, you know, after experience, you get it. You do, you do understand it, and utilize people around you as well. You know, like I said, I, I don't build a job on my own. I work with really good people, and utilize them and trust them. And you know, I, I do, I do believe in the word empowerment. I really do believe in that. No one deliberately goes out to mess up a job or do something wrong. It just, I agree. You know, and people try their hardest. If something goes wrong, it goes wrong. You know, we, we can deal with that. But empower people and trust them. And you, it's amazing how much you get out of people when you just let them you know, do what they're good at. If you could give yourself, you know, your 18-year-old self a, a piece of advice, what do you reckon it would be? Um, I, I've thought about this. It's... I, I definitely suffered with imposter syndrome. And I, I, I hadn't heard of that word before um, when I, until I was on the Athletes Village. And I worked with a guy called John Morrison, who was my mechanical electrical lead. Uh, really good job, really good guy, John. Uh, and he said to me, morally, you suffer with imposter syndrome. And I was like, what is that? He said, you just don't realise how good you are, what you're doing, and you put yourself down. He said, you underestimate what you can do. And even now, sometimes when you, you're on a project, and I'm on this project here in Denmark, and how big it is, the scale of it, you think to yourself, geez, how did you get there? Yeah. You know, and, you know can you do it? But you know you can do it. it it's, it's what you do every day. It's just that sometimes yeah, you do have that, that imposter syndrome. And I would say to myself, don't listen to it. Just believe in yourself. Because sometimes that can hold you back. Do you still get it and now? Um, no, not so much. occasionally, occasionally when I, you know, when you're talking about billions of pounds worth of project money on my, you know, every, every data center is a billion pound, you know, pharmaceutical billions of pounds. You do a hundred million pound job in London. That's a big project, you know, but we're talking billions and you, you look at that and go, wow, wow. How did we get here? You know, how, how has it gone from being, a plumber, painter, you know, an engineer through to this pro to this point here. But uh yeah, not so much. But it's good though, because it keeps you in check. You know, it keeps you grounded. It does uh it stops people can let the position get to their head, you know, and I I definitely don't do that. You know, I don't think so. Senior construction manager doesn't go to my head. It's I'm I'm one of the guys, I'm one of the team and that yeah, that's the way I, I approach everything. Do you think that um, that gives you the... I'm not saying you use it to your advantage because I can clearly tell them from knowing you're off-air um, that is genuinely just you as a person, just for everybody. But um, do you think that plays to your advantage with the guys on the ground? Do you feel like you just... The communication, because you just are somebody that is a lot of, very positive, um, very open. Do you think people talk to you about things and you spot things before things happen and... Do you think that yeah. that real communication piece helps you? Because it's been a big thing on the podcast. 
Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Um, and knowing people's names, sure. You know, meeting people, introducing yourself. And yeah, I loved it at PMG. We had our names and our, on our hard hats and everyone, could, you, knew, you knew straight away who was who. And you introduced yourself, you know, you didn't go in and say, I'm the construction director or construction manager. Or I'm Mark. Uh, if it's all right, get chatting to people because what you find when you're working away from home as well, you don't understand what's going on in people's personal lives. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, some days we all have off days, sure. We all have off days. But when you're working away from home, that can be magnified 100% if you're on your own. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, someone might be just down and you're like, right, let's go have a chat with the guys. And I, I would, we always ran the whiteboard meetings at uh, PMG when we was there in Odense. And that is such a good time to engage with the teams. And then walk the site. Every morning I'd walk the site and, you know, check if it was all right, get involved with everyone, make sure they're all settled. And after working 18 months, after the six months, you know if someone's not right. And you can, you know, you, you can check that they're okay. And that's important. That is super important. And what kind of motivates you, Mark? What motivates you on a sort of a, a day-to-day basis to be away from the family? What is it? I love construction shirt. I love what I do, you know. Um, I love the challenge of it. And this is where we are at the moment uh, here at NNE. We're going through the design stage and procurement and delivery. And it's a nice stage to get things right, to set your standards and say, right, this is how we're going to build the job. This is how we're going to deliver it. And that's what drives me is just making sure that we send everyone home safely every day. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but I really believe in that. You know, we all, we come to money to earn, uh, come to work to earn money. Yeah. And, you know, and that's to look after our families and provide as much as we can for them. And I believe that everyone should go home in the same condition that they, you know, come to work. But also, you know, walking away from a project and going, yeah, that was a, that was a quality project that, and being known for that not being known for the guy who ran off because it got tough after three months, you know, go, go for the hard times with the lads as well. And do, do you think that, I mean, I look at a thousand CVs, right. All the, t- across the span of my career. Right. And I think that clients now, when they're asking me for profiles, they specifically, well, the majority anyway, specifically one where at least on the last two or three projects, not all the time because people have contracts and whatever that they've gone from cradle to grave because they know during that period they would have had to weather a few storms. Um, And I can honestly speak for um, the CVs that have got that on, that it's so much easier to market them and it's so much easier for them to get their own job um, because clients, clients just can see if you look at it as your CV is your shop window almost right before a client even meets you, they're just looking at your experience. Um, And when you have got, start to finish in Odense or you've got 18 months um, on NNE or whatever it might be to another potential client that clearly shows, ah, right. Well, if I put Mark in that situation, he's going to stay there. He'll stay yeah. there. He'll, he'll do it. And I think that what I try and put across to candidates sometimes, it's not always the case. Again, I'm going to state that it's not a blanket sort of statement, but a client looks at that and goes, yeah, six months there, four months there, five months there. It got tough. Did he go or did she go? Do you know? That's yeah. the kind of the the context. But I suppose that's a that's a different conversation. Um, 
what do you think sort of the biggest challenge is in the industry right now that you're working in? Um, I suppose across data centers and pharma, what what do you think the the biggest uh, challenge is? You know, I've watched a few of your podcasts there, sure, and we're all saying the same thing. It's going to be resources. It's going to be the people, without a doubt. Yeah. But it's not just the people. It's the quality of the people. You know, just saying there about people being consistent on projects. If you're consistent on project, you, you're pretty, you know they're going to be good and the quality is going to be good as well. You know, um, and that's what you find is now you, you, you'll get journeymen, journey people, They'll come in, do three months, get a little bit tough, they'll move on. But the biggest challenge is definitely resources. You see how many projects there are across you know Europe, across the world now. You know it's yeah. it's kicking off everywhere, um, and making you know construction. I, I got into it because I, I love construction. I love building and making it sexy for the, the you know the younger generation. Um, like my saying, my son's an apprentice. It's great enticing people into construction again you know we went through a spate there where everyone went it mad you know all right we're going to set up my own it company get into this get and i i can see in a couple of years time we're going to have a real shortfall of you know good qualified quality people because there's been a gap a couple of year gap there and even with covid you know that's affected us as well it's a really good topic. I think you've nailed it. And I think that, I suppose the question would be, why do you think construction is not as sexy as other industries, right? And I could probably make, I suppose, a few comments on it from a perspective of a lot of people now in most industries since COVID have changed their outlook on life. They want to obviously be at home more. This is a lot of people, some that don't. A lot of people want to be at home more. They want that work-life balance. They want less hours. So how would you combat that? To say, this is how construction construction can still be sexy in that light. If that's the word we're using, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I met with uh, someone today who was talking about something very similar. And what you, you know, career progression within construction, and you know, you're saying, you know, I've gone a different avenue to, to most. But there's a lot of companies that look after apprentices and bring them on. And show them the career, career progression from where they can start to where they can get. But look after them as well. Look after the people. How many times have we people had to go and ask for a pay rise? Why? You know, what I mean, if you're worth, if you're good, you should be offered a pay rise. You shouldn't yeah. get to a position where you're going. Actually, I'm going to leave because I'm being offered ten euros an hour extra somewhere else. Look after your your good people and. The good people normally stay if you look after them. You know, I've got a couple of friends who own companies and they look after them people, once, you know, and they stay. They stay within companies for years. Um, and even on this project here, you know, a lot of these people who are working in Kallenburg have been on this project for 15, 20, 25 years. And that's because they're looked after. And, <coughs> you, you know, that's for me is key is looking after people. So do you... So, so to make it, I suppose, to go back to the comment then or the question around how do you make construction sexy then? And even specifically around, you know, the European stuff, which is all the rotational based work. Um, and it was a something that we spoke about with uh, with Fergus on the previous podcast. Right? Your good friend of yours, yeah. uh, Fergus Nugent. So. And we were talking about rotations, like how do you 
how do you make how do you fancy that up to make it work within your life you know within your your personal life because everybody's got families and it, and Fergus was talking about more of a hybrid approach so when you approach a job or an opportunity you should be able to pick your rotation according to your lifestyle that could be an idea of something new so if you have got a family and you do want to be at home more maybe a more suitable rotation will be offered if you are somebody who wants to stay away more then you are offered something then to I suppose attract that but I feel like there definitely needs to be it needs to be different because a lot of clients just go 17 and 4 that's it yeah. Um, yeah. but you've got people that actually want to do the, the whole year or you want to do like they want to do 6 and 1 them guys or women should be rewarded for yeah. that and they should maybe be paid slightly higher and if you want to go home more you should have the option um, yeah. then that's one way to make it a bit more attractive because that's attracts every type of person at the moment 17 and 4 or them sort of typical rotations maybe only attracts a certain caliber of person. So the shortage is there is people there, but there's all the different elements that also make it hard for, you know, for me as a recruiter say, to find somebody to get them there, to stay there for that longer period of time. Yeah, it, it is tough. You know, I do a 10-4 rotation, which suits me. It suits my yeah. lifestyle. You know, I can drive to the airport an hour uh, and I'm home within four hours. So that, that that's perfect for me. Some of the guys, you know, previously, three weeks on, one week off, and that suited them. But selfishly, a three week on, one week off is tough for construction for a delivery project because losing good person for a week is a long time. Yeah. And you don't want, <coughs> you know, the worst thing, and you all know what it's like, getting calls on a Saturday, getting calls on a Sunday, disturbing someone when, when they're on rotation is the worst thing we have to do. Uh, and that's why sometimes that week off is tough. But I, you know, you should, I just think about it. coming here. It takes me seven minutes to cycle to work every morning. Uh, piece of cake. It's a lifestyle here. You know, on the roads, there's no road rage. You know, there's no traffic. It is a bit of a lifestyle thing here. And you, I, I want to bring the, the roof out here more often and the family out here as well. But my son's already saying, you know, in few years to come, could he work abroad? And yeah, of course. And it's a, you know, the Nordics is, I think it's a great lifestyle up here. And anyone you, you speak to who's worked in Finland, they'll say the same thing. So that could entice people. Do you think that's a, a thing then that needs to be done then more so because you kind of see, um, and I'll take that away as well from my own, uh, you know, from my own perspective, but you, you advertise the job and it's Denmark. This is the rate. This is the location. This is what yeah. it is. Rather than maybe going into what is the lifestyle like in Denmark? So if you yeah. are, you're going to be working in Copenhagen, what is the life like? If you are attracting a certain age group, it's like, what is the nightlife like? What's the, what's the sports like? What's the, you know, health and wellness like in Denmark? What's the cost of living? All these different things yeah. that people could be really bought into maybe living in these countries. Cause it's a really, I do agree with you. It's a really good way to attract people because people love visiting new countries. That's for, for sure. Um, yeah. But it's just, yeah, I think that that's something that maybe companies need to do a little bit more of um, is really try and, you know, create that feeling of you want to come here. This is amazing. And then I don't know, maybe you could enlighten me. Do, do they do incentives? Have you got incentive ideas? Did you do them at ODN? Well, well actually, I was just, as I was talking about that, I was just thinking, I'll just turn this off a minute. Sure. I'll, okay. When we, was, uh, when we was in Finland and we went to uh, floor with a, ge a general contractor, we got a welcome pack 
and it told you where the local hospitals were, what restaurants to eat in, you know, what shops Amazing. to go to, and and all the good basic stuff that sometimes you get put in a country, you get offered a job, and you are literally you're paid at an hourly rate, right? Sort your own flat out, sort your own car out, off you go. And it's hard enough when you're moving jobs in in the UK, let alone when you're yeah yeah you're moving abroad, and you've got to set all that up yourself. That's quite tough. So yeah, I think a little bit more could be done around that to support the guys and incentivize them to come out here as well. Yeah, everyone knows you you earn well away. You know, a lot of the, people aren't just doing it for fun, and that's yeah. me being honest. But you want to if you want to keep good people and you want to keep a good team, you've got to incentivize them to stay here. Makes sense. What's your What's you just mentioned at your cycle, right? I'm always keen yeah. to find out somebody's morning routine. What does it look like for you? Like, what, uh, what time do you what time do you get up? What time do you? How do you get yourself motivated? You seem like you just wake up and jump out of bed, Matt. But oh, <laughs> it would blow. Oh, if you spoke to the guys at Odense, they would just they'd be wetting themselves now. So I'm an early riser, up at half four every morning, without a doubt. Um, you know, go to bed about ten. So I do an hour every night on my turbo trainer or try and get out on the road. And then in the mornings up into the office and I will walk the site, even at the moment where we're just doing infrastructure works. I say just, it's, that's a big bit of work. I like to walk around. In Denmark, these guys start here at six o'clock typically on site and you, you're engaging straight away. So up, out, into work, cycle to work, walk around the site, and that them two hours in the morning are the best best part of your day. You're left alone. No one's emailing you. You know you're not in any meetings, and you can set your day up. And I'm very um, process driven. I'm you know I'm, I'm quite obsessive actually. Uh, I do suffer with OCD, and I'm process, process, process. And that is my days. I have to have them two hours. I can't leave work with an email in my inbox, and the lads will laugh about that you know you used to drive them nuts they'd have 500 emails and i'd be like right done file them all you know um but that is just the way i am just very process driven uh and does that cycle up you does yeah. the cycling up you in the morning does that seem because exercise they, they say anyway you whether you go for a first thing in the morning you should go for a walk or I, I regularly exercise and i just feel like i've seen it's a pattern most a lot of people do exercise in the morning do you not feel like your cogs just start turning quicker Definitely, and quite fresh in the mornings here at the moment. So you are awake, and it's only a, it's only a ten minute cycle here. You see, it's easy. But of a night, I'll, if I can get out on the road, I will. Uh, but if I'm on the turbo trainer, that's an hour, hour and a half of my time. You know, clearing my head, just thinking about nothing but what I'm doing, and yeah, just the cycling. Uh, and it's I love that. I love that side of it, and it definitely should. Yeah. I've always fluctuated with my weight, uh, and I, when I really got into the cycling, that really helped. But now I have to cycle. The, the kids and the wife goes mad, you know. Every day, <laughs> I'll still be up even when I get home. I get up at half four, five o'clock, and be like, "Right, what am I going to do? Get out on the bike." Happy so, days. Yeah. yeah. What does um, what does sort of the next five years say look for you personally? You're obviously. Writing pre-construction of a, a large-scale project, but 
where do you see yourself? Maybe not even, maybe just even in the near distance future. Where where do you where do you feel like you could go or could take it? So um, maybe that imposter syndrome might kick in a little bit here, but um, hopefully hopefully not. No, um, this where we are now in Kallenborg, This has got longevity on the project, without a doubt. You know, um, project itself is five years uh, there or thereabouts, and it's growing. The pharmaceutical industry is a growing market. So I, I can see myself being here for a while. You know, I'm getting to that age. I'm 52. I need, I, I don't want to keep jumping around. And, you know, I'm settled in Denmark now. I've, you know, my visas are done. That's another thing, Shu, visas, permits. Each time you move and you have to do all that again, it, it's a pain. It is a pain. It's not a two-minute process, you know. But I, I kind of, I can see the longevity here. Um, you know, progressing in any hopefully progress and, you know, get up the food chain. Um, but, yeah, I definitely can see myself staying here for a while now. And what do you think the industry is going to look like in probably five years? Hopefully, hopefully we can entice people into the industry because you can see the shortfalls everywhere and, you know, the, the size of projects and data centres are only getting bigger. You know, pharma is only getting bigger. You... <laughs> It's going to be a hard industry in a, in a couple of years' time because there's definitely an age thing at the moment. You know, a lot of guys in the 40, 40s, early 50s uh, who are looking to probably retire over the next five years, and there's a gap. You can see there's a gap. Uh, and that's going to cause, that's going to be a challenge, is filling that gap. Do you think, um, I think, look, for most young people, and I'd be the same to say this when I was younger, a big thing is regardless, obviously it's career. You've got to want to do it, right? You've got to enjoy it. But cash is king sometimes. Yeah. I think that when you're young, I think I, I did it. For example, I did an apprenticeship and I was in a different route to most people. I had an apartment at the time and I physically, I just couldn't afford it. Um, I just couldn't afford to have an apprenticeship. Um, and, and pay for an apartment at the same time. Yeah. So I had to change industry. Um, and go into more of a commission-based job that made me earn more money, that I was able to pay for it. Um, obviously, you see that you start at a stepping stone and you work your way up and you earn more money in the long run. Um, however, that is one big, that's one area I do feel like, how would you combat that? Do you feel like, because if you, if you knew you was going into an apprenticeship and you was earning good money straight away, surely that's the first bit. You nail yeah. the, you get all the youngsters and where all the other jobs are offering them money. And you know what it's like as well. With it, I'm not on it now. I, I was on it years ago, but I don't. Instagram, TikTok, people immediately getting rich. It's made it even worse for people now to get into industries where they've really got a graft. Unless they've got somebody in the trade, like a family member who's like, go and get in it. Um, yeah. It's just not a massive, it's not a massive motivator, is it? It's not a massive. No, um, and obviously, yeah, I spoke about Harry, my son, being an apprentice, and he's obviously on a, a lower wage. Um, but I've said to him, you know, his mates who are earning good money now will still be earning that same money, Stuart, in 20 years' time. You know, they're, at a, they're in a company, they're not going to, unless they really go up high and become a director, they're not... But as an electrician, as a plumber, as a carpenter, sprinklers, whatever, in this industry, there's a lot of money to be made in the future. If you can get through the first couple of years of that apprenticeship and 
put up with the, you know like you say instagram the noise around you oh i'm earning this i'm driving around in this look look long term because there is you know money in construction future even you starting your own business up you know you, you, people forget that you, you don't have to if you've been an apprentice you don't have to stay in data centers you don't have to stay in pharma you can start your own company up you know and yeah. you've got that ability to be able to do that um so yeah i, I always say to harry look long term look you know look to the future get over this uh you know your apprenticeship and once that apprenticeship's there and you've got that qualification you know you're going to be a wanted person I, I'm completely with you and I think that you have to start at the bottom and work your way up and there's more of a there is genuinely more of a thrill when you're on that journey Um, obviously I'm a MD in my own company now right but I, I'll be honest and it, as much as I enjoy my job now I really enjoyed the journey like getting there like you know just the day in day out slog of not having any money sometimes I remember even talking to uh, Megan, my partner, as on the co-founder, that I didn't even, I couldn't even afford the first Christmas due because I had no money. Um, <laughs> I was on like, I was on like the minimum salary back then, which is like eighteen k. Um, yeah. And just to look back now, the journey was better, and I think that you do need that. Um, I suppose it's just a hard one when you when you're looking at one problem, and you're going right, okay, how do we fast track so many people coming into construction? Um, but yet. There is so many other options out there almost. So yeah. it's it seems like, for example, if you started going into schools and say, listen, guys, this is the new rates for apprenticeships, you'd probably change everyone. Everyone would just go into it immediately. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah, do, do you get what I mean? I think that's the harsh reality of years. Like as much as you want to look at it and go, listen, in a few years you will. I just think that the way that the world's going, it always, there wasn't, Instagram showing you somebody making a million overnight or these crazy Insta reality people. Now it is all you can make money tomorrow. You can make money yeah. in three days, not you can make money in 10 years. And um, when I was growing up, that's what it was. You didn't have Instagram when I was, you know, when I was younger and it was very much, you're going to have to work your way up. It's going to take time. Yeah. Now it's, now it's not like that. Um, and it's not like for all, some have still got them morals, but you can understand. And, what and I mean. That's a good word actually, sure, is morals. Um, but, yeah, when I was young, when I started my apprenticeship, it was £27.50 a week. And, you know, that's going back a long time. But on a Saturday, I would earn more money on a Saturday than I would for the whole week. But I was earning twenty seven fifty, and I was like, right, I want to earn ten grand, And then I want to earn fifteen grand. And, you know, that was always my driver. And that was the thrill of it, was always chasing. Well, you know, were you earning 20, 30 grand? You, you think well, you own the world. It's incredible, but we are in a society where it's a bit of a throwaway society, and we want it instantly, you know. Uh, and that's a big change. That is to change that is is huge. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough ask that one. But it, it, like you say, if apprenticeships make them, you know, give them a little bit more money. Why not? You know, give them a little more incentive to get into. Or the... look after them. Look after the things. Yeah. That there's, there's certain other ways that you can make as an apprentice. If you want to stay away, um, you really look after, like you were talking about before, really look after them, look after accommodation. There's certain little things around, you know, salary sacrifice, certain things that you can really look after an individual um, that you can make them look at it and go, oh, I'm just in the chain here. I'm happy where I'm going. Clear career path. Um 
there's definitely things that we could do. I mean, we could probably speak about that topic all day, but it's definitely yeah. something I've been thinking about as well. And um, and if there's anything that we can advise, you know, big large scale companies. Um, but yeah, we'll probably we'll revisit that one, Mark. Maybe in a gonna, few years. Uh, you know what, Shay? Just looking at this, just thinking about uh, the last few years in data centers and pharma, the lack of apprenticeships. You never see apprentices. Never. You know, and I know I know it's different working abroad. I know that, you know, and these are younger lads, 18, 19, 20, but there is no apprentices in this. You know, it's like they, they're qualified and then they come into they come into this. So you know, that could be another thing for companies to look at is the apprenticeship in this market. In Europe. In, in Europe, Europe, especially. In Europe. Yeah, yeah. especially. Because if you was 18 again, sure, and someone said, oh, you can travel oh, to the Nordics there. or you can travel across Europe or you can go, you go, yeah. I'd 100%. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and you can even make it so these apprentices, to make it, a lot of young people, right? This is not, not always young, so I don't want to make a blanket approach, but I just know that a lot of young people like to travel. Right. So it's a perfect time to go, listen, we've got you go and work for a big company. So we've got projects in Denmark, so all across the Nordics, in the DAC region. Um, what we'll do is we're gonna give you six months here, six months there, you're gonna get exposure. What a brilliant yeah. job to go and go in go into Switzerland, see this other part of the world. Amazing, great experience, different nationalities. Do a full circle, you'll be a really well-rounded um, individual as well. And without a doubt, you know, you know, like even being in Denmark, you can get to Sweden in an hour and a half. Yeah, you know, it, it's so centralized, and that could be a selling point. Because if I was eighteen, yes, I'd want to travel, and yes, I'd want to work in Europe for sure. Hundred percent. Well, look, let's finish on some quick fire questions, Mark, just to understand you a little bit more, right? Um, so these are a bit light-hearted. So, um, yeah, and you've got to answer every one of them. So, <laughs> first question: favorite film of all time? Seven. Seven, right? I've never yeah. seen that. Never seen no. that. What's it about? Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Oh, my gosh. I'm a proper and... filmy as well. <laughs> what? You've got to watch that, Stu. Watch really? It. Yeah. Right, Not okay. with the kids in the room. Not with the kids. <laughs> okay. Seven, yeah. Yeah. Um, Favourite sport? Um, Cycling. Now, it was football. You know, I, I was uh, semi-pro up to a point. Uh, I was a goalkeeper. And uh, I, I loved football, but I'm a, unfortunately, I'm a Tottenham fan. And watching oh, football, Jesus. Yeah, I know. So uh, cycling now, um, yeah, obsessive. It's harsh for you at a minute. We won't, we won't mention, won't mention Daniel Levy on the podcast anyway. Jesus. <laughs> uh, what's your um, f- uh, favorite music genre? An artist, if you have one. Uh, at the moment, it's Frankie War. Okay. Yeah, definitely, and it, you know, a bit of Faithless. Uh, my thing back on the last project, uh, half past, well, five o'clock in the morning, music blaster on, office full of music. The lads used to walk in, smile on the face. That started the day. I loved What it. music? That was all faithless, Frankie War, you know, all that kind of techno music, just blasting it out. And then a bit nice. of YMCA in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could have a coffee with any historical figure, who would it be and why? Uh, it's a good question. That it's a really good question. I don't know. I I think for me it's uh, Churchill for sure. You know, what I mean, went through a lot of uh, adversity there, and um, yeah, you know, what what kept him going? What kept him focused on that? 
Yeah, good answer. What is your favourite meal? If you can have any meal put in front of you, what would it be? So I went vegetarian uh, a few years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, it was uh, and Thai. Thai. Definitely Thai. Oh, I love a Thai. Love, love a Thai. thai. It's like a thai. Health, my missus describes it as a healthy Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Absolutely. But it's just, love it. It, yeah, it's lovely. Um, worst sport, something you hate. Uh, yeah, watching Tottenham. Watching Tottenham, right? Okay. <laughs> a, a, a TV show that you dislike the most. You know, I'm a EastEnders hate it. Right. That's, yeah, and I'm from Dagnum, and <laughs> yeah, oh, I hate it. Absolutely hate it. <laughs> could not could not watch an episode of it with Peggy. Never, Mitchell, ever, ever. No. Okay. All right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? Uh, sure. So many things, man. So many things. I could tell maybe, you. I tell maybe you. A one, maybe one, one that's one that's gonna you still keep your job afterwards. Okay. Um, can I tell you about my next old next door neighbour? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Is that one all right? Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. So my old next door neighbour David Swain. Um, him and I both working out in Finland, and uh, our phones kind of pinged at the same time. Karen was in her front room, Ruth was upstairs in the bedroom, and Ruth said to me, you're not going to believe this. She had a gazebo has gone through Dave's car. <laughs> Windows lifted the gazebo up and literally had gone through the bonnet of his car. And Dave at the time went, Mark, you're not going to believe this. Someone's gazebo has only gone from a, uh, from a car. And it was, at the time, it was absolutely hilarious. But um, I'm sure the lads can tell you about many drunken nights where I've, uh, you know, fell asleep on the train, and woke up in very weird areas. <laughs> Lovely. Um, I suppose the final question, right? And this can be anybody that you know or just somebody you've listened to the podcast now, you know what the agenda is. Um, who you would like to listen to and who you think that, I suppose, could make a really big impact into making construction sexy again. Who would you like to nominate to come on the podcast next? So, uh, a guy called Alex Dietrich. I haven't told Alex this yet. So I need to tell him. Um, Alex was my construction manager when I was on the Athletes Village. He's a very, very good friend of mine. Um, known him for years. <coughs> God, he's fantastic, uh, and he, he would be great for this. He'd be great. For, he's he's really you know good for the industry. Perfect, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joe. A one man. Take care, pal. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Leaders in Construction podcast with me, Stuart Wallace. I hope this episode has inspired you in more ways than one. Until next time.